Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I'm joined, not as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. He, uh, look guys, I'm not, I'm, I'm gonna level with you. Uh, we may have made it a bit too much ado about the terribleness of this section of game. I think we just scared him. I don't know. I think, I think he just couldn't cope with all the negative feelings that he was gonna have about Tad Tones and backtracking, so... Um, you know what? That's fine. We we love Matthew, and uh, uh, we just want the best for him. So we gave him a free pass this week. He's off doing other things. Uh, but of course, I can't run this ship by myself. I, I have to have banter. I've got to have back and forth. I need, to, I need a little, little shump-shumpin' to bring that I cannot provide alone. And to provide that, I have invited back onto the podcast the one, the only, the mustachioed wonder, Mike the detective. How you doing, Mike? Uh, I'm happy to be that special someone for you today, Lyndon. I would say that you've been that special someone to me in many ways throughout my life, Mike. I feel like we don't need to elaborate on that much in this podcast. I feel like to do so would uh, would lose us about half of our viewership, and also I would be forced to slap that uh, explicit rating <laughs> on the on the podcast listing. So we're just uh, we're not going to go there. But but suffice it to say. It's special, guys. Our uh, our feelings run deep, so deep. I mean, <laughs> we've been uh, we've what, it's coming up on uh, almost ten years since we graduated, and then we uh, we've been friends since freshman year of college. So that's uh, that's uh, about a fourteen year friendship for anyone who uh, is poor at doing quick arithmetic in their head, which is usually me. But I I can add ten plus four, so <laughs> go me, I guess. We'll give you that one. Okay, I appreciate it. Mike, how you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm about uh, two weeks out from the birth of my second child. As in, your second child was born two weeks ago, not two weeks in the future from now. Uh, Correct. No, he was born two weeks ago. I've definitely been handling him for two weeks. He's here. He's a real real squishy baby, you know? I mean, as squishy as any baby is, I, I guess. Well, yeah, I'm not saying he's like particularly squishy. I mean, I wouldn't say he's any squishier than my own infant child. So like, you know, he's he's certainly cute. He's just the right amount of squish, I, I like to think. Yeah, well, you don't want a baby with no squish. I feel like that robs you of an essential part of the, the baby experience, right? <laughs> I mean, sure. How are you enjoying your second go around at fatherhood? I mean, I'm I'm certainly having a blast with my my first time out. So you having done this before probably got a different perspective on it. Uh, in some ways, it's kind of like riding a bike. Some stuff comes back uh, real quick. And then some stuff like the lack of sleep where you just pretended it wasn't going to happen is back in a very real way. Very very real way, Lyndon. Yeah, well, you know, some of these realities are universal. You can't escape them, but uh, I find that if you embrace them and you choose to find the happiness in those moments, then uh, that's just for the best, you know? I agree. And then whenever your buddy calls you up in the morning and says, hey, you want to be on a podcast tonight? And you tell your wife, babe, I'm going to go be on a podcast and just endure the, the looks that you get. It's uh, parenthood. But you're still married though, right? I think so. She didn't say anything otherwise before I left. Well, we'll take that as a good sign. Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so just to clarify, Matt uh, Matt was not pleased about not being able to be on this episode tonight. He is a professional individual, and, and part of being an upwardly mobile career man is that sometimes you just have to go do something you didn't want to spend a Monday night doing, and uh, that's uh, currently what he's involved in. So he's out there making that money, being a responsible adult, and we truly cannot fault him for that. I still think he just didn't want to be on the Tad Tones episode because whenever you told me, hey, Mike, want to come be on episode? My first question was, is it the Tad Tones episode? To which your answer was yes. Yes, it was. I think he just wanted to get out of having to uh, screw around with this 1800 word plot recap that I had to throw together for this thing. Uh, I'm excited. I'm ready for you to get to it because we might have 10 more minutes to talk about Zelda afterward. Yeah, I know, right? 1,800 words, guys. I'm not kidding. This thing, this is actually probably the longest plot recap we've had uh, in the season to date. So, I mean, if you enjoy our plot recaps, which I don't, I I actually haven't gotten any specific feedback about whether people have strong feelings about the plot recap as a segment or not. I think y'all enjoy them. Um, And if you hate them, then no one's said it to me uh, thus far. So that's a good sign. Is no feedback good feedback in this kind of situation? I, th- I truly think it is. Well, let's just see if your uh, your velvety pipes are up to par with, with what Matt's been dishing out. Ah, that's, I love the way that you put that. That makes me feel very good about my, my vocal range and uh, attenuation. You know, you can never get enough, uh, never get enough ego boost in that area. I've found, <laughs> especially as a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, of course, uh, your your second go around at fatherhood has not prevented you from diving into a spot of Zelda. Is that correct? It has not. I've actually been uh, capitalizing on the mobile uh, version of it or the handheld. And I actually wrapped up this game on Friday and it's my first playthrough. I'm telling you, man, the switch was made for new parents like having being three months into parenthood for the first time. um, I just appreciate that little machine so much. You know, sometimes your child just falls asleep on you in the lazy boy and you're pinned down. You know, you're there for three hours and you're you're making as little noise and movement as possible. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be bored out of your mind in that situation. So you just uh, you pick up the old switch and you crank through three hours of, of Zelda or whatever. It's great. I mean, three hours is pushing it. It's more like daughter goes down for her one and a half hour nap. Put the put the little guy down on the half donut, pick up the switch, uh, put in the headphones. It's not to uh, ruin his chill and then Zelda away. I may or may not have played like three or four hours of Zelda while my wife was not in labor, but you know, like all the good stuff leading up to labor in the hospital too. The two days of sitting around. I mean, yeah, you got to do something and I, I'm supportive uh, and I, I tried to, I got all the waters. Mm. I, I massaged some feats and then I played some Zeldas. You, you spoon fed some ice chips. Yeah. I mean, they, they weren't even big on the ice chips here. So uh, it was more like I ordered her the food from the cafeteria and then played Zelda. There you go. There you go. I don't see anything wrong with that. No, uh, and I actually was not exaggerating. Um, Little man took a three-hour nap on my chest today, and like that truly – like at some point that became concerning. Like is this kid sleeping too much? I don't know. I'm not questioning – I'm not choosing this moment to ask those questions, but maybe I'll follow up on the old Google with that. Like, I'm pretty sure when they're they're this age, there's no such thing as sleeping too much. I mean at this point, my kid's pretty much in – what is the critter that sleeps like 
20 hours. Is it Koala? That's I, Yeah, that sounds right. I feel like he's in Koala stage right now. Like it, It's booby and sleep, and then the occasional shart, which I get to deal with. Well, cool. I mean, that's the magic of parenthood <laughs> right there, the poopies. Oh, man. Okay. This is not a parenthood podcast. <laughs> I feel un- I feel unqualified to start <laughs> to start that podcast and say anything informed at all. Parenthood and Zelda, y'all. Oh, geez. This is, however, a Zelda retrospective podcast. If you didn't know, its name is Sacred Realms, and it's a weekly reexamination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks every week. We play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. We're currently coming to the end of our third season. We started with Ocarina of Time. We moved on to Link's Awakening, and we are now playing Skyward Sword. What will we play next? Who knows? We actually do have a pretty good idea. We've had the voting poll up in our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod, where all patrons of any tier are eligible to vote on what game we play next. As I said, that poll's been up for about a week, and A Link to the Past is taking a commanding early lead uh, with a strong secondary in Minish Cap. I don't think it's going to be enough to break the lead that A Link to the Past has, but definitely think we'll be playing Minish Cap the next time a 2D Zelda rolls around, so that's fun. If all of that content sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. I actually have a five-star review pulled up that I want to let off the chain here real quick. This five-star review comes via Troidal Power, who I believe i definitely is a follower on twitter not sure if they're in the patreon or not it's ringing a bell but either way a a loyal listener whose name i immediately recognize troidal power says there's a lot of podcasts out there that cover zelda and a lot of book club style podcasts sacred realms might be my favorite in both categories it's a great look back at the franchise and includes awesome guests silly goofs and poetically written recaps that manage to make the stories and settings even more engaging than the games already do troidal power those are highly kind words and also kind of rendering a verdict on the whole do people like the plot recap situation that we were just talking about so i think that's a yes Lyndon. i think that's a yes and uh as long as one person says yes and no people say no then that's a 100 percent approval rating so i like that math uh, it's good math so anywho uh head on over there and leave a five-star review if you Enjoy our show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, as I said before, you can head to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspodcast. Well, got that URL wrong. You can head on over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. Uh, The much more, of course, includes custom trading cards every month tailored to the content of the game that we're playing in that month. And I believe that everybody should have all of the packages at this point that Matt mailed out. So uh, anyone who's been along for the entire ride should now have all of the trading cards for Ocarina of Time and Link's Awakening. Skyward Sword ones will be going out ASAP. So look forward to that ish. Whew. That That was a bit of housekeeping there. And that was just the housekeeping. We're not even to the plot recap. We are not. 
Uh, we should probably get right into that, though, because as mentioned earlier, it is beefy. Without further ado, let's talk about what we played. We, of course, do that every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Skyward Sword Chapter 9, which we have previously dubbed the Kill Me Now section of the <laughs> game. <laughs> we'll get into whether or not it lives up to that title after the plot recap, which happens in Part 1, the plot recap, <laughs> aptly titled, I feel like. Usually read by Matt, this week read and authored by me, and it is chonky, so let's get into it. With the Master Sword having been purified by all three sacred flames, it's time to head back to the sealed grounds and the second gate of time to be finally reunited with Zelda. We land behind the temple once again and go inside to find Groose and the old woman waiting for us. The woman instructs us to charge our purified sword with skyward energy and activate the goddess crest at the center of the pillar of time. Unfortunately, the act of summoning a skyward strike acts as a catalyst to once again awaken the imprisoned and help it to escape the seal at the center of the sealed grounds. We have no choice but to go deal with this menace once again before meeting with Zelda. This fight with the imprisoned is much tougher than before, but luckily our friend Groose has not been idle. He has constructed a catapult on rails which encircle the sealed grounds and can be used to launch bombs at the monster. With Link and Groose working together, the imprisoned is once again defeated and confined to its prison, albeit temporarily. With this done, our path is clear to finally open the Gate of Time. A skyward strike to the strange pillar in the temple summons a massive portal, like the one we saw in the Lineru Desert, which opens a pathway to a distant past. In this new time frame, we find ourselves in the sealed temple, untouched by time and still in good shape. Impa informs us that Zelda is waiting in the chamber ahead, and it is there that we finally come face to face with our long-separated friend. Zelda informs us that in this time period, the goddess Hylia has just succeeded in sealing the ancient demon god Demise into the prison at the base of the sealed grounds, after sending the humans who survived Demise's murderous campaign into the sky on floating landmasses that will come to be known as Skyloft. Zelda reveals herself to be the physical reincarnation of Hylia and tells us that the imprisoned, which we have now fought twice, is a diminished form of the demon god Demise. Even in its current form, it's powerful enough to continually break the goddess's seal and could do incredible damage to the surface. In order to prevent this, Zelda has resolved to commit herself to a centuries-long slumber in the sealed temple, where her constant presence and power will strengthen the seal on Demise's prison and allow the world to heal. Before this can happen, Zelda imparts to us an ancient legend about the mystical Triforce, three golden triangles which can realize the wish of any who touch it. The pursuit of this power is revealed to be the reason for Demise's original war against the goddess, and in order to protect it, she sent the Triforce into the sky along with the remaining humans. Zelda tasks us with discovering the Triforce in our own time and using its incredible power to defeat Demise. To aid us in this task, Zelda invokes a blessing on our sword, further purifying it into its final form, the True Master Sword. Before we can respond, however, Zelda is sealed in a magical chrysalis and is beyond our reach. Distraught, we head back into our own future, where the old woman, who is revealed to be Impa, centuries older and having served as a constant guard over the slumbering Zelda, implores us to head back to Skyloft and search for the Triforce. 
Upon arriving in Skyloft, we visit Headmaster Gaipora, who must surely know something about the legend of the Triforce. Sure enough, the Headmaster has heard of this object before, but has no insight onto how we might discover it. He refers us to Instructor Allen, who believes that we might find help in the form of the skybound leviathan, Levias, who has served as the goddess-ordained protector of the sky ever since her departure from the physical world. Owlin is troubled to inform us, however, that Levios appears to have been taken ill as of late and may very well respond to us with violence. In order to summon Levios, we must take a cauldron of his favorite pumpkin soup into the Thunderhead and present it as a gift. With the help of Scrapper, we deliver this tasty concoction, and sure enough, the massive creature emerges from the clouds below. True to Owlin's warning, Levios is clearly under the corrupt influence of an evil parasite and tries to knock us out of the sky. Some spiffy flying from our crimson loftwing helps us to attack the parasite Bylocyte and free Levios from its grip. A thankful Levios recognizes us as the goddess's chosen hero, which he was instructed to one day assist in the search for the Triforce. He tells us that the way to the Triforce would only be revealed to the one who knows the song of the hero. The goddess entrusted the song of the hero to three mystical dragons and to Levios in four different parts. We must visit each dragon to learn their parts of the song and then return to Levios to hear the song completed. We first descend into the Pharon Woods to visit the water dragon, but are dismayed to find the area flooded and inaccessible. After fending off yet another attack from the imprisoned, Groose aids us in gaining access to the flooded woods by launching us over the locked entryway in his catapult. We land in a completely submerged forest and find that the Kikwis have all taken refuge on lily pads surrounding the great tree. The Kikwi elder tells us that the deluge originated from inside the great tree, and so we decide to investigate. Inside the great tree, we meet the water dragon who informs us that she is responsible for flooding the woods in an effort to rid it of monsters. When asked about the song of the hero, she agrees to share her portion of the song after subjecting us to one more test. At the dragon's behest, a school of musical tad tones are released into the flooded woods, and only by finding all of them are we proven worthy to hear the water dragon's piece of the song. After a grueling underwater trek, we accomplish this task and are entrusted with a piece of the song of the hero. The water dragon agrees to restore the woods to its rightful state, and we go back to the sky to seek out the next piece of the song. We proceed next to the Lanayru Desert in search of the thunder dragon, but upon our arrival to the desert gorge, we are met only by an ancient pile of dragon bones. Nearby, we find an entrance to an old mining rail and are able to guide a time shift stone through the perilous gorge to its housing by the dragon bones. Once there, the desert gorge is brought back to its past state, and we meet the still alive, although gravely ill, thunder dragon, Leneru. He informs us that he would love to impart his piece of the song to us, however, he is too ill to sing, and the only thing that could cure him is a piece of the fruit of the tree of life, which nearby robots have been attempting to cultivate. The robots are dismayed because the tree will take much longer to grow and bear fruit than the dragon has left to live. Further, the climate of the desert is not suitable for the tree to thrive. We take the sapling of the tree with us, with the promise to find fertile soil in which it can grow. 
we head back to the lush Faron region and remember that we have nothing but time on our side via the Gate of Time and its open pathway to the distant past. We go through the gate back to the ancient temple and find a patch of fertile ground in a shaft of pure sunlight right there inside the temple. It's a little coincidental, but undoubtedly handy. We plant the sapling and return to the present only to find an immense tree where previously there was none. The tree contains one large fruit, which we take back to the Thunder Dragon with the help of Scrapper. The dragon is instantly revitalized and gladly imparts to us the next piece of the song. I'm realizing now that Scrapper doesn't actually take that piece of fruit back. You get it in your inventory. You carry that fruit. My bad. With one portion of the song remaining, we head back to the Elden region to seek out the last dragon. Unfortunately, on our way to the surface, we are knocked off course by a volcanic eruption, which incapacitates us and scatters our items across the entire Elden region. We're dragged unconscious to a makeshift cell by some opportunistic bokoblins. All seems lost until one of our magma friends arrives and kindly returns our magma mitts to us, with which we are able to excavate underneath the cell door to freedom. What follows is a tense, stealthy, and truly irritating quest to reclaim all of our items while evading Bokoblin patrols. After a slow climb back up the mountain, we are able to use our reclaimed bombs to ascend back into the fire caves where the Master Sword has fallen. Now armed for battle, we easily dispatch the remaining Bacoblins and are able to reacquire the remainder of our gear. Fee informs us that she senses a powerful presence in an adjacent chamber and surmises that this must be the last dragon. Sure enough, upon entry to this chamber, we come face to face with the fire dragon Elden, who claims responsibility for the accidental eruption that caused us so much trouble. In repayment for this inconvenience, he imparts to us the third portion of the Song of the Hero. Time to go back and see Levios in the sky. Back in the Thunderhead, we approach Levios, and we inform him that we have acquired the three parts of the song. He responds by beginning to sing the final portion, which was entrusted to him by the goddess. We are joined in the clouds by the three dragons who come together with Levios to perform the song for us. This completes the Song of the Hero, which Levios informs us will open the way to a final Silent Realm challenge and then the Triforce. This has been the plot recap as read by me. Let's get into part two, which is our takes where we discuss our thoughts on this section of the game. Look, Mike, I just want to get into this up front, generally speaking, without dwelling on one specific part too much. Do you think 
that uh, we have overhyped the extent to which this entire section of the game is a pain in the ass. I mean, pain in the ass, sure. I I didn't have any uh, preconceived notions of the tad tones, so I guess I didn't have the uh, the dread going into it that you and Matt did. I didn't hate it. I mean, I would have enjoyed it a lot more if I was a Zora, but I alas was not. Um, no, I I thoroughly enjoyed this section as far as the the different mechanics they used, but it was a drag. Yeah, man. Imagine if you were Majora's Mask Zora Link, able like able to have that access to that movement ability in this section. Like that would have been crazy. Oh, I would have jumped that one. Been like you, <laughs> Tad Tones. That would have been infinitely better. I mean, look. So so here's my deal. Um. I kind of stand by my earlier assessment that this is by far the weakest section of Skyward Sword simply because it kills so much momentum that you – like so much narrative momentum that you build up coming out of the final dungeon and like your Master Sword is upgraded and it's time to go find the Triforce and like things are really kicking into high gear. And now you've just got to go backtrack to all the places you've been before and do all this other crap. And like it brings the momentum of the game to a grinding halt. And I think that that is probably its greatest crime. Um, I guess the best way to put it is that to me this all felt less than necessary. I feel like if you removed a lot of this from the game or at least some of it. It would have been a better game for it. That being said, there were elements to this entire section of the game that I thought were good additions and I did truly enjoy. I, I came away from it not not quite as negative as I expected to be, um, but still not loving it exactly. No, I wouldn't say I love this section um, by any stretch, but there were aspects of it I found immensely entertaining. Like the Leviathus, the Leviathus fight. Levias. Levius, because I guess he's a levitating whale. He's a levitating whale. He's got some major windfish vibes. Oh, he 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 is the windfish. He's the sky whale. Yeah. Um, and how does the barnacles thing work? He's not in salt water. Like, where are these critters getting on him? I have no idea how Bilocyte came to like meet Levios in the sky. It's really weird. That he just swallowed something bad that he wasn't supposed to eat. He got a bad batch of pumpkin soup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he should file a complaint against the pumpkin soup guy because this is definitely his fault. Levios, two stars for the lumpy for the lumpy pumpkin on Yelp. It's like great pumpkin soup gave me an evil parasite. <laughs> two stars. <laughs> two stars is generous, damn. <laughs> but no, the fight was fun. Like I enjoyed the the parasite fight right i mean that's that's about the most fun that we've had on the loft wing in the sky since the beginning of the game right and if they would have had more of that with the loft wing i think that that would have really capitalized on it i mean not to beat a dead horse because the last time i I talked to you and matt about this we talked a lot about how the sky could have could have been more filled out but i feel like this is what i'm expecting from my loft wing and from the sky yeah i agree and i'm glad that we got at least one more good interaction um, with that before the end of the game. But I, I think on balance, the Loftwing as like in the in the canon of Link's mounts, the Loftwing looks cool, but is still one of the lesser options. I mean, when you compare uh, your Crimson Loftwing to like Epona and like some of the jousting crap that you do in Twilight Princess, for instance, or whatever. Dude, hear me out. Pegasus Epona 
How much cooler would that have been? That would have been absolutely amazing. I think really one of the reasons that the Loftwing ends up being such an unsatisfying mount is just because the segmented nature of this game uh, precludes you from being able to use the Loftwing at all in half of the areas that you go to. Yeah, it definitely feels underutilized for the mechanics that they put into it. Because whenever you first start off the game, and again, this being my first time, they spend a lot of time with the training you how to use your loft wing. And I was expecting a lot more mechanics around that, puzzles, combat. And then really the most combat besides Levius Mm -hmm. that you get off of it is just those damn birds carrying red rupees that I'm going and effing up every time I fly through the sky. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, you know, that, that is what it is, but I agree with you. The Levios fight is fun. It's really great. I appreciate that this giant sky whale likes pumpkin soup. I don't know at what point he was introduced to pumpkin soup. Uh, uh, that's a story I'd like to hear, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, did they just def- find him and say, Oh, you know, pumpkin soup sounds good. Um, I also want to try pumpkin soup cause pumpkin soup sounds great. I'd, I'd try pumpkin soup. Yeah, no doubt. Maybe not if it's going to give me a sky parasite, though. Nah, yeah. Um, yeah. Who's got time for that? Um, let's see. I, I'm trying to figure out how exactly we need to tackle this because we've got the dungeon map, and I think I think we're probably best served by just moving into the dungeon map and then breaking down each of the three main sections piece by piece. Um, Before we get into those where we're actually seeking out the dragons, I do want to bring up one more overarching issue that I have with this whole section of the game, which is that it contains not one, but two freaking fights with the imprisoned. And dear God, stop making me fight the imprisoned. (laughs) Uh, 100% um, because we just talked about this off air a little bit, but I was one of those dudes who had to my – not demise the imprisoned fight went got my little uh my song stuff from the whale and then went straight back to Farron Woods to fight him again in one playthrough with my baby sitting on the half donut I had to fight demise I had to fight the imprisoned who is demise I mean I mean potato demise <laughs> <laughs> but yeah fighting him twice in such a short period of time was was a drag like can this dude just stay in the ground a little bit longer but uh, Groose being the real MVP here, and this is, I think, where, at least for me, started to see Groose's like, real turnaround mm. from whatever his pompadourness was going on before to actually being helpful. And I, it helps me identify a lot with Groose because he, he's not going to be the main character in the story, and I think that's what he wanted to be. But then instead of just like, well, I'm not the main character, I'm going to go off and do my own thing and not be involved, he's like, well, how can I help? which I really enjoyed. Yeah, and I think that that really does endear Groose to a lot of people, and it's one of the reasons that people cite him as one of the better characters in this game, because he does have a great narrative arc. And also, just from like a logistics perspective, we got to give this guy massive props for, like in the few days that we were out doing other stuff, he by himself constructed an entire wooden scaffolding system, uh, somehow managed to blacksmith a rail with a cart, and created the technology for a catapult in addition to finding some giant-ass bomb flower somewhere to create ammunition for this thing. Truly, Groose's bomb catapult is a, a feat of engineering, which we must give him credit for. I mean, I think you're leaving out the technical terms here of the Groose train, the Groosepult, and Groosebombs. 
I mean, I'm <laughs> man, patent pending on <laughs> patent the pending. on the gruesome bombs. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was pretty fantastic, and his his part of the fights did make them a lot more entertaining, and also helped me because man, when he stomps me on the ground, old uh, old imprisoned, mm. I was getting pretty damn frustrated. Um, and then I just hit him in the face with a bomb, and everything's better. Yeah, definitely. That third demise fight, as much as it sucks having to do it, sorry, imprisoned, jeez. Um, <laughs> as much as it sucks having to do it, that third one does go pretty fast because that's the one where he starts to like levitate, and uh, all you've got to really do is hit him with the bombs and launch yourself onto him. And I feel like j- just because you're able to do that and you don't have to wait for him to make the entire trek around the spiral up to the temple, it does go quicker. So it has that in its favor. But other than that, I mean, I can't think of any argument for the imprisoned being a good and well-designed boss in a, in a series of games that is known for its excellent boss fights. Um, the imprisoned is just very uninspired to me, and I, I just think it, it's flawed from a mechanical standpoint. It's not exciting. It moves so slowly, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just glad that I'm done with them. I mean, it, it just kind of falls into the same group of things that I mean, this whole section really is about. It's a time extender, and I think that the team was working with what they had to try and draw this game out from a. a I don't even know how many hours game. Let, let, let's say let's say from a 30-hour game to a 35-hour game. I mean, I personally feel like I didn't need those extra five hours. Like, uh, the, 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 this, is, this is kind of a very common conversation that goes on around game design, especially today in the era of the massive open-world game that takes 200 hours to play, right? Um, I don't think that more length necessarily equals a better game. It's all about how you use it, what kind of stuff you're doing with it within that extra time. I think that a 20-hour game, and especially when you are putting a cost value on it, if if all games, all AAA games are 60 bucks, I think that a 20-hour game that uses that time in an impactful and meaningful way can be as good or better than a 200-hour game that just fills a ton of your time with meaningless, boring padding. No, I definitely agree. And in a game like what I come to Zelda for is, it's fun. Like the combat, the story, it, it all comes together to be a pretty succinct game. And that's what I've always enjoyed about Zelda. Breath of the Wild kind of aside because it's its own thing, which I found thoroughly entertaining the whole way through. Sure. But, and you're talking to the guy who beat Red Dead Redemption 2, which took too much of my life and i mean i feel like on the other side of that you were just like why did i why did i do this to myself you want to kill me now episode just do anything about red dead redemption 2 <laughs> <laughs> but no it, it was padding um and whenever so like i said i finally beat the game and we're not going to get into that in this episode but it kind of does come together better at the very end with gear him and demise 
Yeah, I agree. So before we move on, let's talk about the plot that happens in this game because, or, or in this section of the game, because it is very plot heavy. And there's some really cool lore building that goes on here. Um, obviously, we're getting kind of an origin for the Triforce, for the Master Sword as we know it. We finally figure out what's going on with Zelda and her relationship to the goddess. And there's a really, I mean, honestly, the scene between Link and Zelda in the past in the Sealed Temple is great. And there's a lot of emotion when she like seals herself into that chrysalis, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is probably the most I've ever felt for Zelda the entire time. It's the legend of Zelda. And this kind of is the only game I feel like actually had enough Zelda to make me have it merit that title. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And it is just really cool. I mean, there's something undeniably awesome about seeing the master sword become the version of it that we know and of course that's accompanied by the the classic master sword theme anytime you pick it up like you've been upgrading the sword the entire game and that's had its own musical theme but you know zelda blesses it and it becomes the true master sword and you get that classic like master sword musical riff and and that's great that's all straight hype and i really like it um, one of the main things that people always say is a point in the favor of Skyward Sword is its narrative and its lore building for the Zelda series. And a lot of the heavy lifting for that happens right here in this section of the game. And it's good. It's really good. Yeah, no, I, I think that the the story involved in the background of this section is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all the filler that kind of surrounds it that that has varying degrees of fun. Um, and we'll get into more of the the different things that you do through it. I mean, tad tones are a small part of it in the reality. They are. They are. And I also do definitely appreciate getting to – because when you think about it, the only one of the three dragons that you have to find that you've previously met is the water dragon. We have not met Lanayru or Elden previous to this, and I do think that there is some validity in taking a little bit of time – to lead you up to meeting those characters because all three dragons are cool. They're cool characters. Um, <laughs> I've got some very specific thoughts around the gameplay decisions that like went into the activities that you have to do to get to those dragons. But like, it is cool getting to meet new characters at, at this section of the game. Uh, so with that being said, let's just go ahead and move on into part three, which is the dungeon map, where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. Obviously, we don't have a traditional dungeon in this uh, section of the game, but we do have three distinct activities that we have to undergo. So let's go ahead and tackle those one by one. I would like to start with the one that we've mentioned the most, which is Pharaoh, the flooded Pharaoh Woods and the Tad Tones. Then I would like to go to the Lanayru and then Elden. Does that sound good? Let's do it. That's That was the order I played it through in. Okay. So part one, going to the Pharaon Woods. It's now flooded. It's a swimming section of the game. You know, I said in the Ancient Cistern episode that like, oh, hey, we have our water temple and it's the Ancient Cistern and that's probably the best water temple we've ever had. Um, you're doing way more swimming in this section of the game than you were in the Ancient Cistern. And the Tad Tones, I think, have a terrible reputation um, just because it's like, again, like the momentum killing aspect of all of this is in play there as well. But swimming is one of those mechanics in video games generally that people don't necessarily love because it's really hard to pull off. Like you've really got to be able to nail swimming 
uh, as a mechanic in order to make it fun for people. And I don't know that any Zelda game outside of Majora's Mask, Ocarina, or, uh, Majora's Mask with the Zora mask has really been able to pull off. Um, and, and so the whole quest to find the Tad Tones is not like, I don't want to say that it's egregiously unfun. You know, I had a decent enough time doing it, but it was about 30 minutes spent on a mechanic that I just do not associate with being the most fun thing to do in this game. Yeah, I mean, the the mechanic was not the the highlight. I enjoy the puzzle solving and trying to kind of go through and find some of the tad tones was interesting. Like the one that's in the uh, the lily pad and you've got to jump from the height to get it turned over and free it. Yeah, was pretty fun. Yeah, I agree. Um, and also, there's something that's inherently interesting to me about flooding a section of the game that you've previously been to and then realizing that the geometry of that section lends itself to a swimming portion. I do think it's kind of dumb because there are some very arbitrary, like, no-pass walls that you can't – You like, there are sections of Faron Woods that I think it would have been really fun to explore in their flooded state, and the game just sort of decided, like, oh, hey uh, – uh, it makes no sense from like a physics and dynamics of water standpoint, but like you can't go past this entrance to another section, you know? I mean, that's that's Zelda, though. I mean, physics doesn't matter here. It's its own physics, Zelda physics. Sure, sure, sure. But it, like you see the seams of the game design a bit more than you do in a lot of instances in, in Zelda games, I think. Like it feels very arbitrary. Like, OK, from a gameplay design perspective, it is inconvenient for us to find a way to flood the lead up to Skyview Temple or like. This is the one that really gets me. So like if you swim off towards the – there's that long pier when you first dive into Lake Floria in the ancient cistern area. There's that massive waterfall that's over there. And uh, when you swim over that way, there's that wall of water that you can't swim past. But you can see the massive waterfall right beyond it. And I'm just wondering like, okay, so is this like magical water and it it like conforms to boundaries, you know, and – I mean, there's a dragon that changed sized involved in this. So, I mean, I feel like dragon magic could certainly be the the reason. I guess we'll accept dragon magic as like the <laughs> the intangible force that allows all of this weirdly impossible <laughs> to take place. But ain't no magic like dragon magic. Hey. Couldn't have said it better <laughs> myself, Mike. Good point. Good point you bring up there. Um, but no, I mean, like I, w- I will say that collecting the tad tones was not my least favorite part of this section of the game. It was, um, I think I said this last week uh, in regards to the underground sections of the fire sanctuary, but I was thoroughly whelmed by the <laughs> by the Tad Tones. And, uh, you know, it didn't take me as long to do as it has done previously. And that's, I think, just comes from the fact that I played this game three times. But, like, I got through it quickly enough and was only moderately annoyed by having to do it. Um, so, I, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm going to call it like a neutral, <laughs> like a it's neither a positive or a negative. It just existed and I had to do it. And that's all the feelings I can really muster about it. Yeah, I think that's fair. But then it's followed by Lanayru, who I think was the kind of strong point with the dragons. 
Okay, so we've talked in this episode previously about the water dragon and her personality, Faron. We think it's pretty great. Um, so I think we can go ahead and move on into what was my favorite section of this uh, portion of the game, which is everything that takes place around the thunder dragon. And again, the the freaking Lanayru Desert coming in as the MVP of the surface in this game. Every single time, like in, in, in Faron Woods and in Elden Volcano, Everything you have to do in those two sections of the game in the back half when you're seeking the sacred flames, it's all retreads of places that you've been before. Uh, you know, in Ancient Cistern, you had to go back to Skyview Temple and do all that. And in uh, the Fire Sanctuary section, you had to escort Scrapper back up the mountain that you'd already been there before. Uh, but when we were seeking the sacred flame in the Lanayru region, we went to an entirely new location. It was the Sand Sea. We went to all of that cool nautical robot, uh, you know, <laughs> like it was all a ton of fun because it was new. It was a new area to explore. And for a similar reason, the Thunder Dragon section of the, uh, of the game was fun just because we're going to a new area. It's the Desert Gorge. We've never been there before. And there's actually a legitimately fun obstacle course that you've got to go through as you're escorting that time shift stone through the mining track to get it to the pedestal in front of the Thunder Dragon. Yeah, no, that was fun. I enjoyed the, how do you find out where the Thunder Dragon is? Use the map. And then I don't remember very vividly the, the getting to the Thunder Dragon's little alcove where you see his skeleton. Well, that's because there's not too much involved in it. I mean, it, it's it's the next area past the Lanayru cave that we had already been to. Previously, there was a Goron there who was trying to clear the path. And it's one of those deals where it's like, okay, you're at the correct point in the game. The Goron has now moved and you can get in there, you know? Oh, yeah. So then you get in, you little follow the, the time shift stone, get through there. Um, then you come upon the skeleton. And it's kind of like, what am I going to do with Dead Dragon? And here's where I got to give a shout out to my daughter, Mavis Valkyrie Maker, who loves to play with the beetle. Ah, I can understand that as a I can see a toddler who is just kind of screwing around like in the screwing around with video games portion of their life, enjoying flying the beetle around. So I know this is not a parent podcast. It's a Zelda podcast. But if you're not teaching your kids about Zelda, you're doing it wrong. So what Mavis likes to do is either a fly the loftling around with really no direction, but just flying is a fun for her. And she loves the beetle. She wants to fly the bug. So what I did is once I got to, that's so stinking cute. It's pretty dang cute. She's a cute girl. Uh, and so I'm letting her fly the bug around and I've explored the area a little bit and I see there's something shiny down there. I've tried to jump down there about six times at this point, falling to, my death, essentially, and she wants to play with the bug. So here you go, Mavis, play with the bug. She's flying it around, and she flies down pretty close to it. I'm like, you can definitely pick up something shiny down there. And so I'm like, okay, Daddy needs the game back for a second. <laughs> <laughs> props where props are due. Mavis Maker, a three-year-old, <laughs> figured out the solution to this puzzle for Mike Maker, a 31-year-old adult. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, adult and detective, like she's got the, the genes, you know, I'll just say that. So. That's impressive. That's really impressive. But I really was impressed by that just because in Skyward Sword, you have a distinct lack of um, 
puzzles that require you to observe your surroundings to solve. Like it really does kind of usually shunt you from one thing to another thing to another thing. And uh, it's not that that's not fun. As long as it's well-designed, there's a certain amount of fun in that. But – and this is a very small example, you know, like, like oh, you have to find the key. Um, but I did appreciate that they just kind of left that up to, okay, there are these pillars and there's a shine on one of them and you have to kind of make the connection for yourself that you've got to get something over there. Um, it's nice, you know, like it, it relies on the intelligence of the player and I appreciate that. Yeah, it, it was a lot less handholdy than a lot of Skyward Sword is. Um, so I enjoyed having some different mechanics in there. And also, I mean, the, the beetle is just such a cool item because you use it throughout the entire game. So using the beetle to go retrieve the the piece that you need to, to get up there and start making moves with the immortal dragon who is also a skeleton was, was interesting. Well, yeah, but he was sick. Sorry, I got a tummy ache. I'm going to go ahead and die. Maybe he had some of the same like bad pumpkin soup that Levios had. <laughs> that parasite <laughs> really did him in. No, I mean, so you're right. And I also really do. I love, I mean, the time shift stones have been a great mechanic for this entire game. And having to follow a cart with a time shift stone that's constantly changing the environment around you um, to get from one, like from point A to point B, you're, you're encircling the entire gorge. Um, I thought that that was really fun and I don't know, it, it made this section of the game really stand out to me. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this section a lot. It, like you said, there was very little backtracking, so that made it a, you know more area to explore, pretty entertaining. Bringing the dragon back to life is, is really cool. And then as far as what dragons do for you, uh, well, first of all, going and getting the fruit was a, a treat. It was, but at the same time, there is no point in this game. <sighs> Look, this happens a lot in the back half of the game where you have got to go from one surface location to another surface location. And the only way you can do that is by going back up into the sky and flying over to the beam of light. And that's never fun. Like, it truly is never fun. I feel like there should have been some kind of fast travel mechanic implemented just for the surface. You know, if, if, if they did not have the technical ability at the time to connect all of the surface areas in a way to where you could just, like, walk from one to the other, then cool, whatever. I understand that. In a post-Breath of the Wild world, it's not my favorite thing ever, but I get it. Uh that being said, just like don't don't make me go back to the sky every single time I need to go from Laneru to Faron or Faron to Elden or Elden to Laneru, you know? No, for sure. And th they've done that better in different iterations of the Zelda universe. I mean, you've had songs that can transport you. You've had crystals that can transport you. I thought there was any number of ways you could have gotten around between them. Without, I mean, if even if your little Crash Bandicoot friends have to come and like dig you a hole to the next place, like I'd prefer that. Sure, yeah, absolutely. But that being said, I think the Thunder Dragon entire section was the standout of this part of the game. Do you agree? No, I, I definitely agree. I do have a question of the first time you played this game, how many different times did you plant that stupid little plant before it finally you figured out where you needed to plant it? <sighs> Um, 
That's really tough for me to answer because the first time I played through this game was in 2011. <laughs> and at, every time I played this game after that, I just knew it. I don't recall any particular frustration around trying to figure that out. Um, I'm sure I, I'm sure there was something. But like clearly, you had a hard time with it. I mean, I wouldn't say a hard time, but like you said, with the travel mechanic, it's been annoying because the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, hey, I now have this plant and I know what the area I need to plant it looks like. And I've seen these scattered throughout, I think, most of the land map. Well, because they look suspiciously similar to any area that you have to dig, right? Right. But they're they're a little different. And I remember seeing them Skyloft, Farron Woods. And so I'm like, okay, I, I know I've got this plant. I've got to take it somewhere. I'm like, well, cool. I'm going to take it up to Skyloft. I already got to go to the sky anyway. So I went and I planted it near all the pumpkins. Like, That's going to be a great place. Pumpkins are growing here fine. And, it, and the game allows you to plant it there. It does. And then it tells you, you idiot, it's going to take way too long. <laughs> Well, that's mean. <laughs> no, the game was mean. I was like, rude game. Just <laughs> no need to sass me. Just <laughs> give me somewhere to go plant this tree. Man, I'd never even tried that before. I mean, it is a, it is a fun little bit of um, you remembering that you do have infinite access to the past via the gate of time, you know? Yeah, and I got that on like my third plant. So that was fun. And then I take it and go get that peach fruit. And Groose is like, oh, that's a cool looking fruit. <laughs> like, thanks, Groose. <laughs> yeah, Groose, your, your input is valued. I'm going to go take this fruit back to the dead dragon. Oh, man. Okay, so we do that. The dragon is revitalized. We get another section of the song. We'll come back to the thunder dragon in the side quests uh, section of the podcast. Let's move on to Elden, which is by far, bar none, my least favorite section of this damn game. Like, so I got through the Lanayru tad tones and everything, and I was like, you know what? That wasn't as bad as I was making it out to be. That was fine, whatever. And then I fly into the Elden section to go find that dragon, and the stupid freaking eruption that loses you all of your items. Seriously, this section of the game can just go jump off a cliff. It was not fun. It was so like there's there's arbitrary padding and then there's like malevolently arbitrary padding, you know? It's you didn't enjoy the Zelda Assassin's Creed crossover <laughs> that is all of Elden Volcano. Well, I probably would have, but I think Max mentioned this in his episode. Stealth mechanics are a very difficult thing to make fun in a game. And I feel like any game where stealth mechanics are fun the game is tailored specifically around those mechanics. I'm thinking like OG Splinter Cell. Like that game is fun as hell. And it's because the entire game revolves around the mechanics of stealth. And in, in, in The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, it is like – it is a 50% – implemented mechanic at best it is just not that fun uh, th this link in particular is not a sneaky boy like he he is a i'm gonna fly in on my loft wing jump off and then come hack you up with my sword boy yeah and like i think the key to any stealth mechanic in a game being fun is that you have got to have multiple ways of approaching a scenario mm -hmm. right and when you are trying to reclaim all of your items from the Bokoblins in Elden Volcano, you're trying to avoid their spotlights or whatever. 
there's only one way that you can do anything. And so it eliminates any imagination that you could have in approaching this whole thing. And and so like what it really just ends up feeling like at the end of it was, oh, hey, we wanted to find yet another way that we could reuse this volcano ascent that we've already previously reused. But uh, but hey, here's this other thing, and like yeah, now you've got to now you've got to spend some time reclaiming your items from here, and it's it, it's just not fun. It is just not fun. But you know what is a super fun rendition of this that you're gonna get after this game chronologically is Eventide Island in Breath of the Wild. Oh God! Well, look when we get to the Breath of the Wild section of this podcast, I feel like I might even devote an entire episode to Eventide Island because damn that was a revelation like the first like the first time I played Breath of the Wild this is an aside <laughs> but the first time I played Breath of the Wild all that happened for me was I saw an island way off the coast and I was like I want to go there I had like four hearts I was really early in the game and I got there and it rocked my world but man is it fun it is so fun uh and this section of the game is decidedly not that. <laughs> no, and but see, that's an example of of this mechanic done, I think, right. And I won't say wrong. Like I, they were trying to do a very specific thing with this, but doing it right, I'll say wrong. He'll say wrong. Uh, so doing it right is not making it slow the momentum, but making you do kind of a survivalist strategy for the space of that island. Doing it wrong, if we will is slowing the momentum down to a standstill by, oh, volcano blew up, all your shit's gone. Like Link can hold on to all his stuff doing God knows what, and then a little volcano eruption is going to make him lose all this shit. Yeah, so this is, this is a hot, hot, steaming hot take. The Elden Volcano Reclaim Your Items section of Skyward Sword I think is my least favorite thing I've ever done in a Zelda game. Damn. I mean, well, I mean, can you think of anything that you've disliked more? I mean, like truly, I really, truly dislike this. It feels lazy and it felt like, like busy work at its, at its finest, like just bad. Yeah. Off the, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of a, another area of game in any of the Zeldas I've played that feels quite that slow and kind of off kilter. Um, so we just fast forward through that and get to Elden. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. Once you actually get all your items back, it's literally just like, oh, hey, also Elden, the fire dragon is in the next room. Good for you. Right? Like, and and he's fun. I mean, the, the personalities of these dragons are all fun, you know, as characters. As characters, they're all great. Um, but I don't know. Like, I mean, if, if you can give me the Lanayru Gorge or the Desert Gorge in the Lanayru region and you can create a new experience around that, why can't you do that for me in the Elden Volcano? Which already, like, going – so the most of Elden Volcano that we see is in the, like, second section of this game. When we land there for the first time and we go up to the Earth Temple, mm -hmm. even when we go to the fire sanctuary, once you get the earrings and you can go up into the crater or whatever, there's not a whole lot of extra exploration there. It's a very small new area. And so 
the fact that that is the case and that now there's nothing new added on top of that to find the fire dragon, it's just uh, – it's so underwhelming. I mean it doesn't even need to be super large. Just give me one extra room where I have got to solve a completely new puzzle. That's it. You know what would have been super dope is – so you know uh, Captain Fun Man on his little island with his little uh, – Dodo? Is that the guy where you fly down all the stuff and try and land on the rupee? Yeah, he's the creepy clown dude. Yeah, so creepy clown dude. If they would have made this cool, there's a volcanic eruption, but you've got to fly down the heart of the volcano and like fly down it and like dodge different, you know, upshoots of lava, rocks, debris. And at the center of the volcano, you find Elden. That would have been pretty cool. See, that would have been fun as hell. And I don't know, like... Why Why couldn't we have that? Seriously, th- this was not great. I truly did not enjoy this at all. Understood. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, the Zelda series of games is Zelda games are my favorite games in the world. They They truly are. Bar none. I love Zelda more than I love any other game series. And I put Skyward Sword in the top half, at least, of Zelda games I've ever played. I love this game. This alone, right here, is probably the laziest design decision that has ever been executed in a Zelda game. And I just truly, truly do not like it. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to have 100% hits on on different mechanics. And so I, I feel like if this is the one that you pick out that's your least favorite... I mean, you're going to have a least favorite out of all the Zeldas there are. There's a lot of stuff there. And really, if this is the worst one, they're still doing okay. That's fair. That's very fair. And, and you know, Matt and I have said this before. The worst Zelda game is still one of the best games ever made, right? So I guess we're firmly in that territory now. I mean. Yeah. I mean, and there's there's this low section here, which I guess is why y'all titled the Kill Me Now. And thanks, Matt, for taking two night off so I'm here <laughs> whatever you're having a good time i always have a great time oh man okay so i mean do you have anything else you want to say about this because i feel like i've made my feelings very clear <laughs> it's dumb and said Lyndon. all right let's go ahead and move on to part four which is where we talk side quests and i actually did a lot of side quests in this section of the game uh but mike i'm gonna give you the opportunity to to go first. I mean, what did you get up to okay. extra here? So I'm going to try my best here because it's kind of blurred together that last couple sections of the game up to beating it since I just finished. But uh, I know for a fact that this is the section where I decided I was going to go do dodos, fall through the sky and land on rupees, roulette wheel. And that sh- <laughs> So as a mini game, it's fun enough. The thing that makes it really hard is that depth perception is not super con- – I, like, I, I don't know exactly how to describe this. The depth perception in this game is not consistent. And so every time I think I'm going to land firmly on the 50 rupee space, I always end up on like the gray one, you know? 100%. It, it's really tough. So I think I, I made all the rings – Pretty much every time I played this, which to be completely honest was about 15 times before I could finally get it, and I'd fall through all the right rings, and I hit that gray space at least six times in a row, 
And I'm not a, a rage quitter by any, any sense of the word, but I definitely thought maybe I need to take a step back from this mini game for a little bit so I don't kill Dodo. <laughs> Man, Dodo's creepy, and I feel like maybe we could just push him off the island and we'd be better for it. Um, so I never, I, I never fail to make it through all the rings without hitting any of the bombs. I can do that 100% every time. It's just figuring out if you're going to land on the right space. And it's difficult. Like, it really is. Uh, if you, I, I've gotten to the point where, like, every third time I can do it, and it awards you so many rupees that you're making a huge net positive every time you do that at that ratio of success. So it's fine, but, like... Yeah. I mean, yeah, at this point, I'm pretty much maxed out on rupees anyway, though. So the rupees aren't my thing. I'm trying to get the last piece. And uh, so I got pretty frustrated with him, but I, I got it done. Got that side quest done. Cool. And uh, then I think this is the correct space of the game, but I went to go play. So our, our boy, uh, who's the guy that's trying to get swole? We keep feeding with drugs. Fletch. Yeah, I, I've been giving Fletch his... Uh, or Fledge, I'm sorry. Fledge, his uh, his daily steroid do- juice. <laughs> <laughs> and he's over there doing like 2,000 push-ups. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so he finally tells me, cool, I'm swole now, bro. I'm going to throw pots for you or pumpkins. Yeah. And uh, I decided to do that. And man, the motion controls on this and the, especially handheld, just being able to move my, mm-hmm. my little console a little bit. Man, I, I was fire at this game. That's interesting because I had to turn the motion controls off for this because when I'm holding the switch, uh, I can't come back to us to an exact center every single time that he throws a new pumpkin. Oh, no, and that's true. I, so I couldn't come back to center for some reason. The whatever calibrates it inside every time I move real fast to get off and hit one of those far pumpkins, my center's off. So what I ended up doing is standing on my back patio and turning around in circles <laughs> Oh my god! You like you like got in in nature to, to, to beat this mini. I walked out to nature to harness my inner Legolas. And, oh my god! And, and turned in at least three or four complete circles playing this game. But damn, if I didn't get all them damn pumpkins, man! You uh, you really did the thing, didn't you? Jeez, I did the thing. <laughs> so I turned my motion controls off playing my switch in handheld and I managed to, I think my best score was like just slightly over the, the max to get the heart piece. Uh, I had to turn my motion controls off and just keep moving my reticle back to center every single time. And I got to a, I, I did this like three or four times failed miserably. One of those times, like one of those times I got to like 200 points and was like, dang, I didn't hit anything. Um, and then the final time that I actually managed to max out my score and get the the you know the heart piece, uh, I got really lucky on hitting multiplier pumpkins, mm-hmm. and that was good. But it's a fun mini game. Like I, I, I truly have nothing against it. Um, I do think there's a very interesting like in in most Zelda games you don't have to like charge the bow in order to get a perfect shot, and that creates an interesting timing thing on this mini game. But uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh, is that the the breadth and width of side quests that you got up to? Yeah, that's pretty much all I got up to this time. Um, I got into more later in the game, so I guess I'll leave those. So I, compl- I, I finished the entire Gratitude Crystal 
uh, everything, got them all in this section of the game. Uh, completed all of the side quests, found all of the random ones that are just floating around, freed Batro from his monster form, and turned him into a human. What was that like? Because I, I honestly did not finish that in my whole playthrough because I couldn't find the last two dang gratitude crystals. They're on the Lumpy Pumpkin Island. Well, damn. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the reward that you get is the Tycoon Wallet, which allows you to hold like 9,000 rupees or something. It's some crazy amount of rupees. So what does that do for you? Because I got to the point where I could hold 1,900 and got everything I could ever want with rupees. Well, that's the question. I mean, I think <laughs> I think the hypothetical situation here is that if you're terrible at this game and you need to be constantly upgrading potions, then that's what you use your rupees on, uh, like guardian potions and whatever. But, uh, I mean, really, uh, my, my thing for this entire game has just been that I have, I always have way too many rupees than I can realistically spend on anything. And so the tycoon wallet is a lackluster reward, I would say, but, uh, narratively speaking, I mean, just from a completionist standpoint, you know, freeing Betro from his monstrous form was kind of fun, especially once you realize that his human form looks almost exactly like his monster form. <laughs> so it's like, good for you, I guess. <laughs> like, you still ugly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, there were some fun side quests in there. Um, the The ones that I had to do last revolved entirely around having to go back to the surface and bring certain surface characters up to the sky. So, you know, you've got to bring a magma back up to the lumpy pumpkin Island to uh, till the earth there. And, uh, you know, instructor Owlin is a big horticulturist and he wants to see a new plant that he's never seen before. So you go back to the surface and you pick up a kiwi and you bring it back up to him. That was all decently fun. As far as side quests go, um, I don't know. It took up a decent chunk of time and it was fun enough. And so I, you know, I can't knock it. I mean, Zelda side quests range from tedious as hell to very meaningful. And when I say very meaningful, I'm talking mostly about Majora's Mask. Um, yeah, with the mask. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. And all the, all the different, you know, interpersonal stuff that you get up to in that game. But this was a nice, like, medium place. It, it was, it, it was definitely busy work, I guess, but. I wasn't off put by it. It was fun enough. Um, so I, I got all that done. And then the other thing I got done was the Hylian shield. So my order of progression from in terms of like the dragons you have to visit was Laneru to Elden to Faron. And I purposefully did Laneru first because I wanted to have the Hylian shield as early as possible. Because it's, it's indestructible, and I love the way that this Hylian shield looks. Um, this is a very artistic, aesthetic thing. But the Skyward Sword Hylian shield has like a more angular um, – it's not filigree, but the metal bits that surround the Triforce on the Hylian shield traditionally are kind of like curved looking. Is it the embossment? I don't know what even you call this, but uh, it's ornamentation. Ah, okay. Yeah. And uh, I love the visual design of this Hylian shield, and I want to have it for as much of the game as possible. And the shield in this game, the Hylian shield in this game looks identical to how it does in Breath of the Wild. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, But as far as getting that shield, so I also went back and played his little 
boss rush game. And I got the heart piece pretty easy. Do you have to get all the fights done to get the Hylian shield? Yes. I did not do that. So I beat this game with just the goddess shield because I would always get two away and then not having any of my items kind of screwed me. Well, and this raises an interesting point just because I feel like unless you're absolutely terrible at using the shield, you don't need an indestructible shield in this game. But for me, it's kind of an interesting and fun narrative deal where it's like, you know, if Link has the Master Sword, he should have the Hylian shield. You know, it just looks right. So that's kind of, that's always where I approach it from. Um, and the bosses in this game are fun enough to where the boss rush mode is a good time for me. Of course, you have to put up with like the the odd imprisoned fight or gear him fight, mm-hmm. and those aren't great. But, you know, you go all the way through it, and then seven fights in, you hit Kaloctos or whatever, and it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll fight Kaloctos again. That guy was great. Well, yeah, you fight Kaloctos and a couple of the more entertaining ones, and it's it's worth it. But then I'm losing all my hearts on freaking Scaldera. Really? Yeah, well, he keeps passing me, and then for some reason I, I have a hard time the the moving past him to get back up. So I'd always lose like half my hearts on him and then not be able to complete the rest. Okay. That's fair, I guess. But yeah, you have to beat all the bosses without dying to get the Hylian shield. And that's with no fairies or potions. Oh, man. I kind of forget. I know that your items and pouch stuff is sort of restricted. Um, I, I, I don't remember if you can use fairies or potions. But I mean, most of those boss arenas have lots of hearts scattered around like Scaldera especially if you just run back up to the top of the arena there's like 16 hearts chilling up there well yeah I use those hearts to make up for the fight I had before Scaldera (laughs) (laughs) I'm just not as good at boss battles I mean that's fine and I mean like boss rush as a concept is like I I think your mileage is going to vary depending on how much you enjoy fighting the bosses you know there's no getting around the fact that it's redoing content that you've done before so but I did I did appreciate it being there. And yes, I got the Hylian shield and that was uh that was nice. You know, Link looks very proper having both the Hylian shield and the Master Sword. Oh, you gotta complete the look. Yeah, sure, no doubt. All right, that completes part four, which is side quests. Let's get into part five, Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Uh, Mike, I'm going to let you go first. If you had to pick one character that you met in this section of the game that you really liked, who was it? I'm going to go ahead and go with Levius, the sky whale, who's just up here eating pumpkin soup and getting parasites. I mean, <laughs> he's he's mysterious and fun, and I enjoyed his little fight. Um, well, it, not, you're not fighting him, but his parasite. Um, and then just kind of the fact that he's up here wanting to teach you songs and swim around in the sky. I mean, he's a pretty cool dude. No, that's a good one. Uh, I personally am probably going to pick Laneru, the thunder dragon. I thought he was, look, all the dragons have neat personalities and Laneru especially has got this fun thing where like one, he's only used to interacting with the mining robots. So he wants to give you like a number instead of a name and that's fun. But I don't know. He's uh, he's got an interesting personality, and I got somewhat invested in the whole "let's save this guy from dying" thing. You know, it, it was fun. Does it ever talk about why he's got a dragon tummy ache? I don't believe so. I mean, I'm just saying that 
you're a, a badass, supposed to be a mortal dragon, and something's making you puny. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess I guess that's fair. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's it's intangible, but I appreciated him as a character. He probably got some of that pumpkin soup. Probably got some <laughs> of that parasitic pumpkin soup. Man, tell you what, don't eat at the lumpy pumpkin. It's uh. It's it's just not good for you. <laughs> Two stars on Yelp. <laughs> Two stars on Yelp. All right, let's move into part six, which is final thoughts, where we wrap up this section of the game as succinctly as we possibly can. We're going to break with tradition, and I'm going to give a succinct analysis of this section of the game. And then I'm going to pass it off to Mike to do the same thing. Awesome. I'm going first so that he has some time to formulate his own thoughts. I think that this section of the game is the weakest <laughs> section of Skyward Sword, bar none, just because it is completely unnecessary. With that being said, there is enough fun to be had here to where I was still enjoying my time with the game, but the Elden Volcano item recovery section can go die in a fire. Never make me do anything like that again, please. Okay, I mean, that's going to be tough to follow. I feel like you kind of summed it up. So I'm going to say with this section, while had ups and downs, was a thoroughly meh section of Zelda. And yet I still played it. Succinct. Well, I mean, if you if your goal was to beat the game, you had to play it. So in some ways, this section of the game was holding you hostage. <laughs> I know, but, you know, luckily there's some negotiators came and, and talked me out of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. All right, guys, that has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. We will be back next week for another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown, the final installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown for this season. Skyward Sword, we will be covering the Sky Keep and the conclusion of the game. And then, of course, the week after that, we will be moving on to our general recap feelings for this game, and we'll be ranking it against the other games that we've played. So we're in the end game now, Tony. <laughs> a little MCU reference there. That was, <laughs> I got it. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your validation of, of, my, of my pop culture quote. Oh, man. Um Mike, you know what? It's been a it's been a real pleasure having you on again. Uh, look, uh, obviously Matt and I have a great time doing this whole thing together, but uh, there's something really fun about recording this show with a close friend. And uh, you know, I never take that for granted. This has been a, a truly wonderful time, and I, I really appreciate you coming on at very short notice. I always appreciate it, Lennon. I'm, I'm more than happy to come talk about Zelda with you and get away from the house for a little while. So I'm just curious, now that you've beaten Skyward Sword and and resting somewhat assured in the knowledge that Link to the Past is the next game we're going to play, one of the most classic Zeldas that you can play, some, some would say the most retro Zelda that uh, exists as like a fully formed fun version of of Zelda, you know, uh, knowing that that's coming next, are you excited for what's going forward? Uh, yes. So I, I'm definitely going to have to, uh, get the online subscription for the, the switch so I can play this. Um, 
and yeah, I will, I continue to follow along with you as my, uh, progeny allows. <laughs> well, the, the nice thing is I think, you know, every time we move from a top down to a 3d and then back again, I think what we come to understand is that the top down games, uh, tend to be easier to fit into like a, an adult, like real world, you know, we have a job and kids schedule. So I don't think Link to the Past is going to be tough for you to keep up with. So I'm really excited for you to get into it. And I would say that, uh, you know, before you embark upon that quest, I would say just expect for. Be ready to have a really good time with it. A lot of those Super Nintendo games hold up a lot better than you would think for having been made in 1990 or 1993 or whatever. Uh, the music is good. The mechanics are good. Sometimes the uh, progression is a little opaque, you know, like how to get from one section to another is not explained or handheld nearly as much as it would be in Skyward Sword. But uh, the game itself is incredibly fun. So I'm excited for you to give it a shot. I'm definitely looking forward to it. And that's one thing that I like about this podcast is it's given me a reason to go back and play some of these Zeldas that I may have let fall through the cracks growing up. I mean, just either certain things I didn't have the ability to play at the time due to my consoles um, or the time to play based on what was going on in our lives. Um, But this is fun to go back and play these games, some of them for the first time. If not, then they're nostalgic and stuff I've played Back in my youth. (laughs) (laughs) Which is now behind us, by the way. (laughs) Don't remind me. We're in our 30s and we have offspring, so we are no longer in our youth. Hey, you know, that, and that's, it is what it is, but I I imagine a lot of these Zelda fans are in the same kind of boat we are. They've either um, got careers now, um, got families, or have kids, and so it's going to kind of be different strokes for all these people, kind of where they're at in their life, but also remembering you know, what we played when we were young. And then also in some cases, getting our kids introduced to these games that we loved or our spouses or significant others. Um, So it's fun to be able to share these things that we hold so dear with the next generation. Completely agree. Mike, one question for you before we get out of here, any Zelda game that is not currently available on switch, you know, what, what, what would you choose to put on there? That's not currently on there. Uh, so I, I confess that I don't know exactly what all is av- in- available. So on the Switch right now, you can play Breath of the Wild, Skyward Sword, Link's Awakening, A Link to the Past, The Legend of Zelda, and Zelda 2. Oh, can you not play Wind Waker on it? No. Ah, Wind Waker me. Yeah, that was my answer as well. Seriously, bring Wind Waker HD to the Switch. That can't happen fast enough. I haven't played that game in like six years. And I'm really jonesing for it. Um, God, man, that game is great. Oh, man, it was fantastic. I I love the sailing. um, And I think that did a lot of things that the sky doesn't do necessarily really great in this game. The ocean did for me in that game. Yep. Could not agree more. Seriously, could not agree more. In some ways, I would say that uh, Wind Waker, knowing that it came out before both Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword, was way ahead of its time. I concur. Sweet. Mike, we look forward to having you on the podcast again at some point in the future. Um, It's been a great time. Seriously, really been a great time. This is a very tough section of the game, and I feel like we really got some good stuff out of it. So uh, much appreciated. Well, I'm glad. I'm, I'm happy to come back whenever you and the public will have me. 
Mm. Well, the public, you know, they're a, they're a wily mistress. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what they say. No, no, you did great. You did great. All right. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast that allows for written reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Skyward Sword Chapter 10, which covers the Sky Keep and the final section of this game. Skyward Sword can be played on the Wii or the Wii U, or you can play the superior version on the Nintendo Switch, which is what we're playing, and I seriously cannot recommend playing that version enough. Like, the 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 up-res on the graphics alone is worth doing it. So, go get that. It, 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 if you have a Switch, it is truly worth your time. In the meantime, though, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch you guys next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Shops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameShops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. 